0: Hey
1: everybody, David here, and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. One of the best ways to attract and keep great talent is being a well-equipped shop. There's nothing more frustrating for a good technician than not having the right tool to do the job properly. That's especially true of diagnostic equipment. But what is the right tool? There are so many options out there, and some of them are tens of thousands of dollars, We simply need to know what's going to be the best value for us. And if we can't make that investment or refuse to do so, as is the case for some shops, are mobile diagnosticians a good option? Well, to answer that, we're joined by Brandon Dills of Jarhead Diagnostics. Now, Brandon both sells diagnostic equipment and offers mobile diagnostic options for shops in his area. And make sure that you listen out for Brandon's pick For the scan tool to have in your shop right now. But before we begin, if you're an automotive industry professional or a shop owner yourself, then you are in the right place. This is a podcast created by shop owners for shop owners and those seeking out their perspective. We have frank and open conversations like the one you're about to listen to, where we discuss the struggles and challenges we have every single day and what we're trying to do about it. So if you like this content, We'd greatly appreciate a subscription on your favorite podcast listening app. If you're catching us on YouTube, hit that like button and subscribe to the channel so you never miss an upload. Now, with all that out of the way, here we go.
0: Brandon Dills. What's up, man? Hey, everybody, we've got Brandon Dills from Jarhead Diagnostics with us tonight. Brandon, how are you?
2: Living the American dream.
0: Well, it's definitely something to live. Um, yes, it You know, is. Brandon, we wanted to get you in here and, and talk a little bit about scan tools and, and kind of your perspective of the industry that we're all in together. Uh, you do mobile diagnostics. Right. And, and you're really close to me. You've actually done a training event here in my shop uh, last year there. And so wanted to talk to you a little bit about a scan tools, but your perspective of the industry Um, and kind of just wanted to jump in here and get at it and see, see what your thoughts are. You know, we've got a lot of members within ASOG and the, the number one thing they're always coming in and saying is what's the best scan tool for me to buy? Now, we've got a lot of members who truly believe that the only way to tool up a shop is with OE tools. We've got other members who believe technology as a service is the way of the future. And then we have other members who believe that Snap-on or Alltel or one of these individual tools is going to be the best fit for them. How do we determine what the best fit for a shop is?
2: Um, You need all of them. It really all depends on, on the service that they're trying to provide um, all OE shops. I mean, that's, that's an expensive thing. I mean, you know, we'll just take Mercedes. What's that? 35,000 for three years. That's an expensive investment. So, but at the same time you can't just have like the snap on Zeus or the all whatever, because even in the aftermarket stuff, they don't all do, the same thing, if that makes sense.
0: Okay. When you say they don't all do the same thing, tell us what's the same thing, Brandon.
2: Uh, All right. Like, let's say you're trying to do a diagnostic on vehicle X. My Maximus 3.0 might not have the data pids or the testing features that, say, my Snap-on Verus does or my Altel IM608. So sometimes, just because you've got that expen- one expensive tool, you're not going to have all the testing features needed for every make and model.
0: So, because- so wait just a minute. Oh. Wait, wait just a minute. I've, I've got to, I've got to ask the question. So you're saying that when the tool guy came in here and told me that tool would do everything I needed it to do, he wasn't being truthful?
2: Well, the snap on Zeus does do everything, including fixing your kitchen sink. Um, nah, it, it doesn't, um, now I'll be honest with you. Like I know a lot of people use snap on and stuff. My go-to scan tool that like is my first grab is my Verus edge, which is the predecessor to the Zeus kind of along the same lines of the Zeus. Um, but it doesn't do it all. It does a lot of stuff, but it's, it doesn't do it all. Um, Like, let's say you got immobilizer issues, the snap-on, they are extremely lacking in immobilizer. Uh, That's where, like, my IM-608 comes in, so that way I can do immobilizer stuff as well.
0: So let me ask you something. Let's say you're going to go out to to a mobile job right you're going to go out and look at a vehicle for a for a client and you're trying to decide hey you know i've only got x uh space in the vehicle that i'm going to i'm going to go out I, I don't have enough room to take everything with me what's your go to tool what what's the one tool i know you said that you take the Varus edge with you uh what's the go to tool when you go out to do a job, is it something that you decide? Hey, this is what the job is. Is it a car by car basis? How do you how do you begin to to work through that?
2: Um, it all comes down to like trial and error, um, and learning from experience. Um, but like my two that I always have with me is uh like the Varus Edge and my IM six oh uh, eight because IM six oh eight is a fully functioning scan tool that does pretty much everything the Varus does, but it, where the, Ver-
1: Lucas and I have been telling you about parts tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your parts tech account, go to my shop and click on the rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, PartsTech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using PartsTech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using PartsTech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for PartsTech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to PartsTech.com forward slash podcast. That's PartsTech.com forward slash podcast. Hey,
0: one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with PartsTech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started.
2: Varis lacks. I've got the IM608, and same where the IM608 lacks. I've got the Varus. Um, I do have like uh, the, uh, the Matco Maximus 3.0, which is a launch. But to be honest with you, in the past probably eight months, I've used that one like five times just because it's not exactly what I need. Now, for the longest time, the, the Maximus was my only scan tool, so I used the heck out of it then. But the the deeper you kind of get into things, the more you realize that on the aftermarket side, you're going to need more than just one tool to get the job done.
1: So is that, that the Maco one the same thing as what? Harbor Freight uh, sells. No, Zurich? no, no,
2: no, no. The you're, it's it's a rebranded launch, um, which is like Launch Tech USA. Uh, imagine Altail, but just a different brand. Um, it's yeah, nothing yeah, yeah. like the, the Zurich. But, okay, Who but makes uh the Zurich?
1: It, I thought Launch made the Zurich. Uh, not sure.
2: I, I don't know. I I do know that the the Zurich is a rebranded of something. But anytime I've yeah. looked at the the Zurich. It almost looks like Altel, like the operating systems in the Altel, but I don't know exactly which one it is because I've never really went hands. I, I swear. One. I think it
1: was Tanner who, in a discussion on Facebook, said that the uh, the Zurich was a rebranded launch device, but maybe I'm, it maybe.
2: If, if no, it very well might be. I, I don't have a whole lot of experience with that brand. It's a thousand so.
1: bucks. It's not bad.
2: Not, I mean, not if at it all. is a
1: legit launch device, thousand bucks. Because you got to think, like uh, um, I hired a technician who brought his own. He had a Varus, I think. Uh, it, which one's got the the two channel scope on the back side of it? Oh, the, that's the, the Modus.
2: The either the Modus yeah, okay. or the yeah. I think the Apollo is a newer version of the Modus.
1: No, it was a Modus. Yeah, definitely a Modus. So he he brings that in, and that was at the time the only thing he had, and, and so he he was very proficient at it. Uh, but i think he spent i don't know three thousand four thousand dollars on that and i think he's still paying it down where he could have walked out for a thousand bucks and maybe you know grabbed a coupon or something at harbor freight and had a if it is a launch device something that's functional uh it doesn't have the lab scope and now he's got the extra cash to go get a pico or something like that uh, so oh, yeah it, you know it, it, it almost doesn't make sense because i know the modus brand new wasn't that price he got one used or yeah when they'll trade something in or trade 50 things in and get a discount
2: well see that's the biggest thing i guess with whenever you're talking snap on is just the price point of it because like the the newest all tail is the the ultra it comes with a five thirty four. it comes like a giant screen the topology scope everything and and you're at five grand whereas the comparable scope
0: yeah yeah yeah.
2: it's 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 all in one like and actually it's pretty cool the scope's wireless um if you're wanting to check can network you don't even have to hook up the scope because it uses a dlc port to check can network it's and all that and it's half the price of the zeus and it'll do more than the the
1: topology oh it's pretty slick it's have have
2: you ever used ytech
1: yeah, so I love that aspect of Y I mean, it's, it's fantastic.
2: Imagine Y Tech on an aftermarket scan tool. Really?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's identical.
0: So you brought something up, and and you said immobilizers, and I I think the thing is is that you know we were talking about this the other night, Brandon. We're we're talking about silver bullets, and I think all too often we begin to get this idea as shop owners. We're, we're looking at these huge investments and we say, well, I want a tool that can do everything. Right. And and that's what Snap-on really yeah, came to, to the table one with. One tool. Right. It won't that, happen. That's what they, it won't happen. Exactly. And, and, and that's, that's kind of my point is that the Snap-on came to the table and that's what they said. You can buy this one tool. It's going to do everything you need. And that's what they taught their salespeople. Right. That's, that's what the, yeah, the route drivers sure. say. And they don't know. They have no idea. So they go out and they say that when, you know, now I've, I've been here since 2007 and I started with some Snap-on tools, but I think the reality of it is this, is that now we get in here and we have um, so many different levels and so many different systems that we need to address on so many different vehicles, right? In an independent shop, we work on everything. So I know a lot of my domestic stuff, I'm going to my Snap-on tools. I, I have the best fit with my snap-on tool. I know oh, with my Euro stuff, you know, or my Asian stuff, I'm better with my Altel, right? My European stuff, I know there's a lot of things, especially on BMW, that my Auto Logic is going to do a really good job with. And I know that a lot of my stuff doesn't have the capabilities with immobilizers or keys that, you know, and, and so I think it's really important to kind of know where you stand with this. Um you know, I, I'm not going to go in here and pick up the auto logic and plug it into a GM and call them and say, "Hey, can you flash this for me?" No, I'm gonna I'm gonna grab the one of the pass throughs and just program the vehicle. How do we find that information? How do we, as shop owners, begin to position ourselves to where we have some of that base information? And and I get it, right? It's through training the technician, but how does the shop owner know what to buy? Um, they call brand to be on.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) No, I mean, that it it all comes back down to um, some another conversation that you and I have had over the year and years, whatever. And it comes kind of back to networking because I might have done stuff that you haven't and vice versa. So I know what tools will do what and you'll know what tools will do what. And so, in my opinion, it, it with with especially like the aftermarket or trying to figure that stuff out. It comes back to networking. So if you're a new shop or you're a established shop and you're trying to figure out what should be that next tool, you need to kind of, you know, do a, a pros and cons list of the current tooling that you have, and then maybe sit down and say, Well, I want to start doing this. Let's say a mobilizer. Well, then you can network with your people and be like, you know, hey, I want to get into mobilizers. What do I need to do as far as tooling to get into mobilizer systems or I want to start programming how to like what is my steps and I mean there's there's a bunch of websites and YouTube videos and all of that to figure it all out but it, it the networking also helps out with bringing that in too.
0: Definitely. And, and, you know, that's, that's like our laptops, right? I buy all my laptops from Isaac and, and that gives us the ability to program and, and have a lot of those configurations already built into a laptop. So that's a huge benefit for us and a huge savings for us. And then most of the guys, you know, what we found that works best for us here in the shop is they've got their own personal, um, not the Apollo. What was before the Apollo? It's not the, uh, Solus Solus Edge. The, the Solus
2: No, the oh. Solus.
0: Yeah, but they changed it after the Solus. Was it Was it still a Solus Edge, the one with the bigger screen?
2: No, no. They got the Triton. Was it the Triton, the Apollo, and something else? I don't remember what the other one is.
0: Right, but but basically they've got the code reader version or the, the code reader with data, you, data version of a Snap-on The tool. Ethos? Yeah, maybe that's what it is. But, but a small tool, right? Easy yeah. to data log, easy to capture freeze frame data, easy to save data, easy to go out, plug it into the car, and they're moving. They're ready to go. And then if we need to data log, if we need multiple data pids or we need to hook a scope up or whatever it is, we're going to a different tool. But that initial scan is with something that very easily transmits that data into our shop management system. And that we can capture some really quick data. You know, a, a client comes in and says, hey, you know, my check engine light just came back on. We need something that's quick, something that's easy, something that's not going to be easily broken if we drop it kind of deal. Something that's tough. So I really advocate for for the techs having something that's theirs. You know, something you, that they can just run tell and grab.
2: You want me to tell you one that any shop owner could afford to give to pretty much all of his techs? And it's what's an that? extremely powerful, the launch Daigon. Now, it's so not launch, an American. Now, hold on. Now, <laughs> the launch the launch Diagon. It's it's a handheld full bidirectional scan tool. You can pick them up on Amazon for about seven hundred. The Daigon's not a US from, from Amazon. Well, screw the, Amazon. It's,
1: no, what's <laughs> what, the 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 it, it, the the, the Daigon? Daigon five.
2: Yeah, and okay. It, I mean, for about 700 bucks, it's a 100% fully bi directional scan tool. It even does, you know, a little bit of coding and everything. Your only downside is, is it's not in a, a US based scan tool. So, like, um, which I think they might have just changed. You can't do secure gateway with it. But I think I just seen on one of the Facebook pages last night that the Chinese versions got added into the secure gateway so you might be able to even use it on secure gateway now
1: Now, when you say it's not based out of the u.s like what does that mean
2: well all right so
1: it's not launch, like the same thing as like buying an autel from ebay or snap or uh, amazon right
2: that it's yeah so launch and autel they've got they both have like a u.s base and then they've got some that are not u.s based, and so mm. typically everybody tries to buy u.s base especially when you're in the united states just because yeah. of the tech support and everything but whenever you're only looking at you know six to seven hundred dollars for a scan tool i mean it not being u.s based isn't like a deal breaker for me anyways
1: but if the thing conks out you're you're screwed right
2: well, that's why you get it from Amazon because they've got excellent return policies. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Okay, I got gotcha. you. I'm with you now. All right.
1: Do they not sell the tool like it like technically sell the tool in the United States? Is that what the deal is?
2: Well, no, no. no. All right. They're in the United States, but they are not a US branded tool. So like um like well, I'll use Alltel just because I know a little bit more about Alltel than launch. You can buy an Alltel 906BT U.S. version or you can buy one non-U.S. version. Yeah. And it all comes kind of back down to like tech support. If it's not a U.S. version, then you, you're you going to have a hard time with tech support and all that other stuff.
1: That makes sense. So,
0: you know, now now this all leads to another question. We're talking about buying the text a little cheap scan
1: tool, right? is it
0: the text response 700 to bucks up? is
1: not cheap thank you very much I, I don't know i like it's cheap for a scan tool i understand but 700 bucks and then the guy smashes it like i i give my techs phones i used to give them tablets tablets got clunky so we handed we, we uh we we ran with phones and the second phone i bought i handed it to my tech he smashed the crap out of it now it was a 250 and fifty dollar phone. I probably won't buy that brand again. Uh, that's a cheap phone, two hundred fifty bucks. I get it. Whatever. If mistakes happen, he smashes up a seven hundred dollar whatever. I'm going to be a little pissed. I'm not going to lie.
0: Well, yeah, and 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 so I get that, but that that kind of leads to this question: is that at, at what point do we say that it is the technician's responsibility to buy the tool versus the shop's responsibility to buy
1: the tool? I Depends mean, I, on independent, I, the, the shop, the the technician wants to be because the guy well, wants to bounce yeah. or if he well, thinks if he, he might bounce.
2: <laughs> well, if he's going to bounce, then, you know, you'll, you'll be taken back possession, but you've got that three letter word that comes back in or three letter acronym ROI, you know, your return on investment, you might be spending 700 bucks, but now your technician's that much more proficient because he's not having sure. to run around looking for something if he smashes it then it's on him to replace it if i was in the situation like that you know it if he was to smash it you know you it, it's on you to get it fixed but you know the initial return on investment if it doesn't break is now your shop's more proficient
0: yeah well you know look in in my case both of my guys have some of their own tooling right Stuff they had before they came here. I, I didn't make them buy anything, but we've got shop tools, right? They're welcome to pick a shop tool up, go do whatever they need. We've got a Veris Edge, a uh, Altel Ultra, a 906BT, AutoLogic. What other tools are here, Brandon? You know as well as I do. Um, and One or two. Yeah. <laughs> and... <laughs> And so, you know, my thought process is, is we want to make sure that they're tooled appropriately to do whatever they need to do. But one of the common things that keeps coming up is uh, on the podcast is that a lot of folks will come in and say, maybe specialty is the way to go. Maybe we need to look at some specialty um, or specializations in the shop. Well, you know, I work on everything. So I can't really narrow myself down. I, I've got a, a customer base who has a little bit of everything. So, you know, I, like I said earlier, I've got to have the all for one line. I've got to have the, the snap on for another. And I think it's so easy for shop owners to get this idea that, hey, I'm going to grab the snap on. I'm going to go do everything I need to do with every single vehicle. I mean, it's just not realistic. Right. And And I also think that we have to be thinking about the processes that we want to perform. You know, so if, like you said earlier, if we want to perform programming, that's a completely different tool than the majority of the scan tools on the market. Okay. If we want to do immobilizers and keys, that's a different tool. So how does a shop owner kind of decide what it is that they want to do? And, and by that, I mean, they need to sit down and do some planning Brandon, how do they plan that? Do we go by brand? Do we go by – what's the game plan? When you start tooling up your mobile business, how did you plan that out? Um, I don't
2: know. Maybe it's the ego thing, but I'm the type that I like to have a little bit of everything. Um, but I, I know that that could get expensive, and that's not keen for every shop to do that. They probably just need to go back and look at their – you know, let's say last year and figure out, well, last year I did this many Hondas or this many, this, or this many, that, and see if they going into buying factory scan tools for those popular ones. Um, one of our mutual friends, Keith DeFazio, I mean, I was talking with him, him and I had lunch. I was probably about six months ago and he was mobile And he said that the reason, the way that he figured out which, um, factory scan tools that he wanted to do, you're probably gonna laugh at this, but this is what he said he did. He would go to the mall and he would count cars. He'd be like, okay, so my area right now is, you know, this, I'm gonna go to that mall. And if he's seen more Hondas than anything else, then he'd buy the Honda factory scan tool for that year because he knew that he'd be seeing more of that. So you kind of go off of your demographics as far as what you're wanting to do. And the demographic of whatever uh, clientele that you are working towards.
0: Um, so, look, you are a mobile tech, right? And in many, many, many ways, the ASOG membership has often looked at mobile techs and said, eh, "Screw that guy." And and I can understand that. Now, you are a little bit of a different mobile tech than than what. Some of the yeah, folks you're lumping them is, all
1: together. That was, that was right. What he well, does that's what's is gonna, not the same thing as the guy doing oil changes out in your parking lot. That's
0: what I was going to say. So, so well, I, I, I think
1: said <laughs> <laughs> you said it so much more eloquently. <laughs> there um, you go. <laughs> uh
0: you know, but I, I guess my point is this: is when we start talking about using a mobile diag tech. Right. And and I, I get it. I fuss at you all the time and say it's not diag, it's testing. When we're we're using somebody to do mobile testing or mobile programming, at some point it becomes a thing where we're saying it's a better ROI to hire someone to do this programming or do this testing for us than it is to try and do this in-house. Have, tell us what you've seen with that when when you're dealing with shops, because you you've got a little bit different demographic than we have here. Um, you know, and and I've I've really looked for guys who can do a lot of this in-house. I've tooled up so we can do a lot of this in-house. When you see the average shop in rural North Carolina, what are you seeing and, and how do you feel about that? When do we make the call to go to a mobile tech versus trying to do something like this in-house?
2: Uh, so is this podcast going to be about a three or four-hour podcast or, or am yes, I limited sure. on my time? Yeah,
0: we can <laughs> do it. We've got all the time. <laughs> oh.
2: <laughs> now, um, my biggest issue that I run into with, with a lot of shops is – um. And this is like whenever I first go in and talk to them or, or what have you, and that very first phone call that I usually get from them, ego. And no matter how you look at it, we all have our egos. Like I can fix that dang car. I'm not going to try and curse, even though I do a lot. But you know, I'm not going to try and. Fi- I want to try and fix that car, or I'm not going to pay that person because that's a lot of money out. But in retrospect, you have to look at let's just say we'll we'll talk Diag. We won't even talk program. We'll just talk Diag. You know, I'm fairly decent at a diagnostic process and and performing Diags. And let's say for another shop, they spend five hours trying to figure out this vehicle. Well, they might've only charged the customer because most shops don't charge appropriately. Another conversation, 80 bucks. I'm going to Diag your car for 80 bucks well, you just spent five hours to make $80 and you still don't know what the issue is. Whereas you could have called me out there and you went on to something else and, you know, made something over the next five hours and just had me come out there and diagnose the issue. Or if you've gotten stuck to that point where, you know, it's about time to ship the car, well, now you just lost out on everything. Or you could call in a mobile guy and come out there and help you diagnose the issue and still keep all that money in your shop versus sending it out somewhere.
1: Okay. But you're not going to be able to charge the customer for five hours of Diag because you're incompetent.
2: Correct. That's what I'm saying. Like, so let's, I'm just using 80 bucks because one of the biggest things on ASOG that people complain about is not charging appropriately or what am I supposed to charge? So average shop is 80 bucks an hour. They only charge that customer 80 bucks. I'm going to diagnose your car for $80 and then they spent five hours on it. And so now that it took them five hours to make $80. Yeah. I get that. So at the same time
1: though, like they, you know, I, we've spent five hours looking for a problem. I'm not going to lie, but, um, you know, sometimes, you know, that's going to be the case going into it. And so you try to decide what's fair. Like, What what am I going to reasonably charge this customer knowing that I'm not super familiar with this particular system or this particular vehicle or whatever. Right. And what, what can I reasonably charge and also be able to have the opportunity to run some tests to hook up our, our equipment to it so we can figure the systems out and maybe be more proficient the next time around. Why wouldn't the shop look at it that way? Um sometimes
2: they do, but let's just say like I've got a couple of shops that I do probably 90% of their diags. Um actually I have one shop that doesn't diagnose at all. I go out to their shop anytime they get a diag again. Um
0: but Wait a minute. that whoa, whoa, shop whoa, 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 whoa. I I don't understand how that's possible. Well, like I mean isn't that not what we do any
1: diagnostic work in? Um I mean is that even possible?
2: Yeah, but This shop has learned to to charge appropriately, if, if that makes sense. So like before they even call me out there, the, the, they've already got pre-approval for X number of dollars for a diag fee, but yeah. But see, and then it comes back down to like how David just said, you know, I wasn't familiar with it. Well, then they're going to lose money. So if they just called me out there as a mobile guy and you know, I'm doing everything and then they're still making money on other vehicles then technically i guess it's a win-win all the way around so
1: i get that but like i i don't know i just my i know that my guys would instead of moving on to other work they'd be hovering checking to see what you did that they didn't think of doing so i would call we don't have any mobile diagnosticians around us like zero um but you know I'd, i'd be willing to call one in Whenever we get to this, to a certain point where like, I need fresh eyes on this because we've missed something and it's causing us to lose time on this vehicle. We we have other vehicles to work on. I need to move on. I don't want to leave the customer hanging. So it makes sense for me to call a, a, di- a mobile diagnostician to come out and handle what we weren't able to deal with while my guys are doing profitable work. I'll pay whatever the fee is for them to get a a fresh set of eyes and Hey, what test did you run to figure this out? Uh, you know, we won't miss it next time. And so uh, that makes sense to me, but for me to only hire R and R guys and, you know, leave all the, all of the, uh, Diag for to a mobile guy. And then, you know, we, we, I'll give you an example. We had, We were doing that with programming. There was a, there was a a guy who was working at a shop and he was kind of half freelancing, but he had, he had a J box and he, uh, and a little uh, mobile or like a net uh, notebook or whatever, whatever they call them, the little baby laptops. Uh, But it could do pretty much anything you needed it to do uh, for the most part. And uh, if you needed something programmed, you didn't need to take it to the dealership. You called this guy. His name was Ryan call ryan he came out he charged 125 bucks and he would hook up his equipment to it flash it and move on fine super easy but it got to the point where i couldn't get the guy on the phone because he was busy or he was you know two hours away and i'm not going to be able to deliver this vehicle tonight where if i you know and it might be something simple too like an abs module on a you know mid-2000s gm Something I should be able to flash in 10 minutes, I can have this thing done. And because this guy's not available, I'm going to have to leave this car overnight and maybe he'll get to me tomorrow. And it got to the point where like, I got to get something going here. And so we bought our own J box. How does that guy manage that? Or is he just like 90% of your business? And you're like, yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. We make it work.
2: It kind of just comes back down to, what you as a shop owner is willing to invest in time training and all that is to, if you want to start doing more in house Um, and today's vehicles, it's like my job is becoming more and more prevalent and not necessarily just in the mobile aspect, even just in the shops being able to program in the shops and kind of going back towards like the beginning of our conversation about what's my best tool to get, um, look at tell Most altels for the the more advanced ones they come with a J twenty five thirty four. That's and, what I was going to
0: say. Yeah,
2: and you can do a lot of stuff with the altel. Now the I think the ultra is different than the other ones, so I, I can't speak for the ultra, but all the other ones. Now you won't be able to do the mega cans on like the newer, uh, Chryslers, and then you won't be able to do Nissans, but if you're not really doing a whole lot of new Chryslers and you don't do any Nissans, then that Altel J2534 will get you by for as long as you need it to.
0: Well, and, and, you know, I I think that's one of the things that I've always thought is, Hey, listen, if we can get the majority of what we do, Right. So between the laptops and the Altel, we can get the majority of what we do. Right. And then, you know, we do a good bit of European stuff. So we got to have the auto logic for some of that if we want to do flashing things like that. I I think that the Altel and a laptop for me is probably the most powerful way to go. Right. Because it really gives me, you know, because it gives you the J2534 and it gives you you know a very powerful scan tool and it gives you a lab scope and and we like the lab scope the the ultra is a big tool right it it is a big tool but i mean between those two tools we can do just about whatever
1: we need to do i guess i'm asking for the ideal because it, in my view it looks like what what brandon does Is the same thing as what the technology as a service guys do to a certain degree Yeah. rather than, but when I pushed back on the technology as a service guys, I I said, why aren't we training our technicians to do this themselves? Why aren't we pushing them to be better, to get up to speed on some of this newer technology uh, and be self-sufficient on programming or whatever? And they, they said, look, we're trying for our business model to work. We're trying to be in as many shops and not spend four hours on the phone with one guy who's only getting, they're only getting that one monthly fee from that one shop. And so they don't want to spend four hours with that one guy dealing with this one problem. They need to be able to take as many phone calls and be able to spread themselves around. And so they said that what they try to do is to teach the technician to be self-sufficient to a certain degree and have them there for access to Mercedes where you don't want to drop $35,000 for, you know, maybe one or two cars a month. You have them available and you pay your monthly fee or whatever, and they're, they're sort of the, the, um, the backup. But for the most part, the technician can do most things on their own I see that, that you, you coming in and you, you provide a critical service, not downgrading that at all, but if the, if, for example, this, the shop of yours, it it doesn't sound like that guy gives two craps about being able to, to be self-sufficient. He doesn't care that his technicians can't diag certain circuits, or he's not, maybe not pushing them to get to that point he'd rather them hang brakes all day long because that makes him a ton of money and that's it that's all he cares about and anything else i just I, I can just call brandon i mean how do, how do you feel about that it, from a from, i guess from a technician's perspective
2: no i mean you're you're 100 correct um but you know look around at the shops that are in your area and you could probably understand the type of shops that I deal with on a daily basis. I don't net like
1: some of these shops uh, are so incompetent. They wouldn't know to call you rather than trying to throw parts at it, hacking up all the wiring and then dumping it on me. (laughs) No, no, no. Yes, no, (laughs) No, I, I get
2: that. But see, your type of shop is not my demographic, I guess you could say. Now I go into shops like yours where we've got everything, we can do everything and they just need that extra set of eyes. But the typical shops that are calling me in are the ones that don't want to invest. They don't want to invest in training and tooling, um, their time off to train or anything like that. And so it's easier for them to call somebody in and say, Hey, figure this out for me and I'll go make money elsewhere.
1: What kind of conversations are you having with these shop owners? <laughs> I mean do you like from the from the side of your or from the corner of your eye are you watching that guy improperly hang those brakes and going that's not going to end well? Or um, do you just like do you just put your head down and say I'm I'm just here to do a job I'm going to make sure I do what I got to do and then move on?
2: Uh I I can tell you that there are um I've been into plenty of shops that I would not take my vehicles to. Um, I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I, I I have to be somewhat touchy because I, I don't know who's listening to, to your podcast, Listen, um, but <laughs> I, I'm
1: just telling you right now that with these shops that don't want to bother investing in their technicians or training or anything like that, are not listening to this podcast. Like, oh yeah, right. I
2: know, but like, and I, I see a, on a lot boat. Correct. (laughs) Well, I, I see a lot in, in, in the lower aspects of things. And so most of the shops that call in a mobile guy are either a, a good shop that just doesn't have the tooling for programming. And so I got a lot of shops that use me solely for programming because for most Asians, um, GM or most Asians and domestics, you know, the, the other brand that will do it, you know, remotely, I'm only about 25 to $30 more than them and for them to call me in, that means they don't have to invest in, you know, that tooling and yeah. they don't have to spend that extra 30 or 40 minutes standing there. They could go make more money. So the, the yeah. extra $30 for me to come in and do it versus having somebody remotely do it, it's, you know, kind of a no brainer. So,
1: yeah. And from that aspect, that makes sense. Like we're not set up to flash Nissan. I didn't pay the fee. I mean, I don't want to mess with any of that. So right now, uh, if I have to, like we install a transmission in a Nissan. I have to take it up to the dealer. Uh, do you so have it has a to be towed out of the shop. I uh, I um, I've got the Snap On um, pass through three.
2: If you upgrade, It'll to pass do No, no, no. It won't, if you upgrade to the pass through four or get the Cardact plus three, um, you can use a consult right to repair, uh, you know, the whole right to repair act, Nissan came out with a consult right to repair where you're only paying per day. It's 30 bucks a day. Um, and then you have to pay. Yeah. And then you have to pay for the, uh, the program file, which is about 30 bucks. So your cost less
1: than a hundred bucks. I can flash this stupid Nissan. I don't think they yeah. the like $325 access fee or whatever the hell it is. No, no, and no. And then the, the, get the I, individual files.
2: I, I think that was like the older, uh, system. Yeah, know? it was. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it, they got, they went to, um, consult right to repair. And so pretty much any Nissan, uh, uh, Emissions related stuff. So PCMs and TCMs, really, um, you can program any of them. Um, and then I think it's 2008 and above the consult right to repair, I believe is a fully functioning Nissan scan tool. Don't quote me on that because I haven't used it for that. But I think 18 and above, you can use it as a fully functional consult as well. So,
1: well, that's awesome. That's fantastic information. I didn't know that. That's what we had you on, Brandon. <laughs> so you could tell me how I could cheaply flash Nissans.
2: Yeah, you you're just uh, you'll have to, you'll have to get a, uh upgrade your uh pass through. It's got to yeah. be the 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 Plus 3 or if you're want to go back with Snap-on, it's got to be the Snap-on uh pass through 4.
1: Um I don't think my guy will trade will let me trade mine in. Cause he was like, you are only one of two places that actually bought this pass through three. I bought it years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody does flashing in my area. No shop does it. They've got, you know, just a few and the rest of them just tow it up to the dealer. And the Which dealerships I think, don't charge very much.
2: Well, I was talking with Lucas. He said it's the same in his area and, and in my area too. I know that there's one shop that does it in my area. Like in my, local area not my whole demographic or I service and most any before i started in my area everybody was literally just telling it to the dealer and and that's kind of where the, the problem back. though is
1: like what uh, uh when uh lucas was on the podcast with um with brian plot he was he was telling the story it was with brian plot wasn't it We told the story about the the guy having to tow the, yeah, he's got to tow the sprinter. It's a bajillion dollars to tow it down to the dealer. It doesn't make any sense. Like he has to have the equipment. Otherwise, there's no sense in owning one in his area whatsoever because if he's down, he's screwed. Yeah, absolutely. And,
0: you know, and and here's the other thing about that is is that drives one of two things. It drives a shop to say, I'm not going to work on it. And I guess it could drive them to hiring a mobile tech to come out and look at it. Well, if, if that's not in your area, they're either going to capitalize on that opportunity and say, hey, I need to come up with some tooling. What are my options? And and one of my biggest concerns is, is there's a lot of options. If you go searching and, and for instance, you, you want to, you know, you can buy Zentry that is a hack version right or or whatever a clone whatever you want to call it yeah and you can buy it cheap you don't know about the quality of it you don't know what it's going to do to the client's vehicle you don't know what's going to happen
1: or you Depends can work you with call. a prov- they'll they'll give you the warnings
0: <laughs> well i i guess my i guess my point is is that there
1: is no solid information source for a lot of this so
0: that Correct. that is definitely well, no, hold, one on now, hold on
1: Well, not not the clones. So I, I agree with you there, but that that's where I disagree. I, if I had like a, a, a Brandon to call, you know, somebody that could guide me on what type of tooling to put in my shop whenever I ran into a situation, because up until just a few years ago, where you started to see mobile diagnosticians, and there's there's more than just Brandon. You know, take a Matt Skundrick. you. If you run into a situation with, because he runs that, that J2534 group, you run into a situation where like, hey, I need some help with this. Who, you're screwed. Who do you call? Right. And and, and just, just for equipment, like what, what's the best laptop? You know, what? not even the best. What's a reasonable reasonably priced laptop where maybe I don't want the full setup that Isaac has. Maybe I just want something that'll be functional for me. What's a good idea for me? And, you know, here's my budget. Who do you call at that point? It, it wasn't until just a few years ago where you had options. You had people you could call. And like Brandon was saying, we have networking now. We can talk to this guy and that guy and, and that gal. And with their their guidance, you can come to an informed decision where I don't think that was the case five years ago. It was right. just talk to the Snap-on right. guy. And the Snap-on guy kind of shrugs his shoulder and says, we have it- this thing. And and that's that was kind of my whole point, right? That that is exactly
0: my point is that just a few years ago we didn't have these options, right? And now we're kind of in this place where you have resources and and you know, I've always said there should be a, a consulting company that's able to take your data and look at it from a an SMS and say, "Hey, here's the scan tools I would buy if I were you." Right? Sit down and help you plan. What are you going to put in your shop? What are you going to work with? and And I think that's a very, very valid point, David, is that that's where having this network really, really works, because I'm telling you, if I had not known about Blue Link and and didn't end up with a auto logic, the sprinter thing would be a big deal. Right, and now yeah. there's plenty of shops around who are using clones, plenty of shops around who who have worked around this, but the majority of shops in my area say, oh, "I just send it to the dealer right and and you know look i you guys know me, I'm about improving our industry that that's my number one thought process. It's not about, oh, don't tell them where to get this. it's the competition. You say to them, Hey, you know there's this tool you can get, and it does this, this and this, no. I don't want to do any of that i I just I'll I'll bring it to you. You fix it. So there's a lot of shops who have no interest at all in doing anything more. And, and, you know, maybe that brings up another point. Um, I used to have the hero complex, right? And Brandon and and I have talked a lot about this. I used to have this hero complex. I can fix anything. And I'm starting to realize that the reason that people were bringing me their cars for me to fix when nobody else would fix them was quite simply, they knew they couldn't make any money fixing it. Right. So they just turned it away. Yeah. There's some cars that you don't have to be the hero and fix. But if you can tool proficiently just to be able to do the basics of what you do in your shop every single day, it's not as difficult as you might think. It's not as expensive as you might think.
1: I, I don't know. I, I'm just saying it's not even, I'm, I'm talking moving past the hero complex since we think you can fix everything. Cause it, yeah, I get it. There's guys like that out there. But I'm just talking about from a, I, I need, smooth workflow and i'm having a conversation with my snap-on guy and he's telling me he's like man there's a lot of shops in my route they don't have a scan tool and and i'm like what what do you mean they don't have a scan tool like like you don't have anything like a little baby scan tool like you were saying little handheld deal no it's like they said they don't need it they haven't needed it (laughs) up until this point they've been making money without it and they don't need to start and and that absolutely floors me i'm like you've got to be kidding me we would come well, to a screeching halt if yeah, we weren't equipped the way we are. Well, he's right. like saying over that, are over. but they're still out there doing it. I mean, those those guys are, I you know, I, I don't know that my customer base and their customers' base is the same, but they're out there working on cars that I could potentially be working on myself. They're still there is my point.
2: Well, like, I, I know my Snap-on dealer um, kind of bragged, you know, I sold 18 Zeus's in this area and I service almost every single one of those shops. And I use my Varus edge to do most of the stuff because they, they have the Zeus, but they use it as a code reader, you know, because they don't know its yeah, capabilities. Know it. Yeah. Yeah. But then also like, uh, I also service shops where like their newest scan tool is like a 10 year old Altel. And it's like, and they're like, oh yeah, it still functions. It's like, well yeah, you know, it'll c- pull codes for you, but that's that's not where you need to be at, especially not in today's times. But the statement that you made, they're making money, so why do they feel like they need to invest?
1: Yeah, that's what that, that's what frustrates me at the end of the day because the 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 normal consumer sees what we do and what the shop that has no scan tool uh, does. Is the same thing. They're like, oh, you're both fixing cars. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. It's not the same thing. And trust me, I'm charging twice what they are for a reason. I can turn that light off. And I I don't know. These guys are slick because they tell these customers, oh, don't worry about that light. Oh, you gotta it that that's super complicated to reset. Only the dealer can do that. They tell these customers that, and they show up to my shop, and I'm like, what do you mean only the dealer can do that? That's what he told me. It's like, okay, well, I can turn it off for you. I just got to make sure they did what they said they were going to do. I just got to check it out, and we can turn it off here. You don't need to go to the dealer. It's frustrating.
2: Well, I I run into this, and you know it's been on a lot of different Facebook pages, uh, <clears throat> especially being mobile. Is I'll go out. The car's doing this. We can't figure anything out. And they went to one of those shops. I was like, Yeah, I can turn the light off. They legit did that. They took an aftermarket, you know, programmer and deleted the check engine light and deleted the codes out of it. And then now you're trying to diagnose it. And so you've got Wait, the what? <laughs> yeah, that that's that's a common occurrence too. They,
1: um, they whip out the HP tuner and they're like. Don't worry about well, that P0420. I gotcha.
2: <laughs> yep. And then, <laughs> and then, and then, oh, yeah, your lights out, but your car's still running like crap. And that happens a lot as well. I mean, not like every shop and not all the time, but, you know, yeah. it's kind of the same thing where you're saying, you know, oh, you got to go to the dealer. Well, they also do stuff like that too. And that's just where I, I, I a lot of my shops, I usually try and have like a one on one conversation with them. Uh, asking about their tooling, um, or if they call me and how you said, you know, you were calling that guy and he'd get backed up and yada, yada, yada. Well, if I'm backed up, I usually try and walk them through the diagnostic process over the phone. Let's for a diag to kind of help guide them. So that way they can figure that out the situation without having me having to like drop whatever I'm doing to run out there. So,
1: yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, especially if it's something fairly basic, that should yeah. be able to figure out on their own.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, for the most part,
1: Lucas. I, I think it, it.
0: You know, we talk about this all the time, and and you know, the old old grumpy Dutch is always saying, you know, some shops aren't going to make it. Some shops need to fail,
1: right? And as bad as that sounds, I agree I mean, with you that they do. The problem is they're not failing fast enough. So because they're, ta- they're making money. And some of these shops, Lucas, some of these shops, you got me on a rant now. Hold on. Some of these shops, the owner is sitting on a boat. He could give two craps whether his technicians who he is going to flip over in a, probably a year, a year to two years. He could give two craps whether that guy is, you know, tooled up or has proper training. Why? Because as long as that money st- keeps coming in, he can sit on his boat and enjoy his, uh, his, um, his profits coming in <laughs> he he but, knows he doesn't have to try that hard uh to to run a fully functioning shop uh, you know he just enjoys his boat and so uh, that's the the running joke in a, in our shop is we get stuck with some of these diags some of them are frustrating and meanwhile the the guy who hacked up the wiring and threw the parts at the car didn't fix it that guy sitting on the boat he doesn't care and, He's like, ah, it's fine. We threw some parts at it. They charge the customer. They charge the customer, Lucas. They charge the customer. I know. Hey, listen,
0: I'm, dude. I'm going through it right now. I've got a. I've got a truck here right now that the client has paid over six thousand dollars in repairs for a piece of plastic in the damn fuel line. Right. It it took all of twelve minutes to find it. All of 12 minutes. It was as simple as putting a T in the fuel line before the fuel pump and hooking a vacuum gauge to it, driving the truck and saying there's restriction and fuel pressure is low. There's nothing in the tank. It must be in the fuel hose. (laughs) You know, super difficult concept. $6,000. $6,000. Yes. Yes. And 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 the parts that failed failed again because they didn't fix the original problem and they just kept changing more and more parts saying I don't know what's wrong with it, and I can't help but sit back and say Is Brandon crutching people like that up? That's Is he my keeping? Point. Th- Is he That's keeping this? Sh- say earlier. Well, but uh, look, I'm just going to pour it out there. Is Brandon holding this person up because now he's going over there and keeping them semi alive?
1: We're gonna throw Brandon under the bus here.
0: Yeah. Should oh, we well, just let I him you guys have a good night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll catch you on the next one. <laughs> but I mean, seriously, think about it. And 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 you know, so Brandon brought up a really and 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 I'm I'm saying this because I know a lot about his thought process. Brandon brought up a really, really valid point the other day. And he was talking about the side hustle. He was talking about the tech who was working on the car behind the scenes. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you, look, I have no problem with it, right? I, my guys don't do it, and I have encouraged them not to do it. I've told them that it's not acceptable while working here to do it, and there's there's two primary reasons. One of them is the liability to them because they could lose everything because they're not insured to do that. And it's very hard to set expectations. You can very easily ruin a friendship. You can cause lots of problems for your personal reputation, but then there's the business aspect of it that so many don't think about. It doesn't matter that you do not have a uniform on. If you work for a shop and you are working on cars oh, yeah. behind the scenes, you are your tying guy that fixed to that my shop. brakes and dot exactly. dot, dot like hoy, hold on now. <laughs> You're
1: exactly. Not
0: in computer system. So so this side hustle thing, it also plays into this, right? And and many of these clients would not be a client that I would have in the shop. But if they never learn that, hey, this is not acceptable, I shouldn't expect to get this repair done for a quarter of what everybody else is charging, right? And, and just like the truck out here, you know, with the fuel pressure issue, you know, I hate to tell you, he's dropped $6,000 on this thing. Now he's looking at me saying, well, gosh, I've got to pay money to fix it now. Well, he didn't charge me that much for the parts, Right. But look at the quality of the service you got. It's not the same thing. And so, you know, Brandon, you talk about the side hustle. You talk about we've got to fix it. That was a dumpster style <laughs> dumpster fire
2: of a post. That that was my original post on that was more geared towards educating people to do it properly. Because I was on a Facebook page and the guy was saying, Well, I do that for free. And so I was like, you know, you right. gotta charge appropriately. And whenever you charge appropriately, then then it leads to where you can actually run you know, a side hustle as, as a legit business. Cause like, you know, for Jarhead Diagnostics, that was my side hustle, but it was a side hustle with an LLC behind it as a legit business. It wasn't my full time thing. And so that's, that's what I was getting at towards the
0: side hustle, not the, yeah, but (sighs) I, I get it, but you bring up a really valid point. That's where that conversation went.
1: Yeah, that's where it went. I know that's not what you intended it to be, but yeah. that's where well, it went. Everybody's well, uh, just, the now, moonlighting. Now,
0: correct. Now,
2: don't get me wrong. Whenever I was in a shop <clears throat> um, for the, I mean, it was close to 10 years that I was in shops. I never once stole a customer from my shop. And I would never do that because I would prefer my money to come in there. That shop's what pays my bills so I won't take anything from that shop. And that's where I I agree with a lot of people where the side hustle's wrong because a lot of people are unethical in their side hustle where they might tell the customer, well, the shop was going to charge you this. I'll still be doing the work, but I'll only charge you this. That I have an issue with that side hustle. But like <clears throat> like I'll say for me, I always purposely worked like 45 minutes from my house. Like I I never worked close to my house. And so like, if I ever did any side work, it was never in the demographic of my shop, if that makes sense. So that way it was more ethical, I guess you could say.
0: Well, Right. But, but I, and and I, I hear what you're saying. I really do. I hear what you're saying.
1: It was calculated. It it, it was calculated the way you, you set it up. But at
0: the same time, Listen, listen, though. The here, guy like should have kept thing. you busy. Like You should have been tired well, when you went home. <laughs> the, the guy, the guy should have kept you busy. I get that. But beyond that, so let, let's talk numbers here. And let's really think about this for a minute. If you're going to charge appropriately, right? And, and one of the things that Rick White always says is profit is not accidental. You have to be intentional. And I have found to run a profitable business, if you're going to get to net 25 in your business, man, it's a lot of work. It's not easy. You have to drive the shop constantly. You have to push it forward. You have to push the work through it. You have to really work hard to get to net 25. And if you think you're getting there and it's a easy peasy ride, I can guarantee you got numbers wrong somewhere because it's not easy. And and by that, I mean – if you're charging appropriately, and and so okay, what is appropriate? Well, you got to be able to pay for insurance. You got to be able to mark your parts up, um, and and you got to be able to uh, care for the client. Something goes wrong, you have got to be able to have the money to to put an engine in a car. If if you screw up, you got to cover all of these ethical bases. You there's a lot to it. You got insurance, you got the telephone bill, you've got subscription fees, you've got management fees for a shop management system. You've got, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And I get that a side hustle is not as expensive, right? I'm just saying that if you're charging appropriately, you're going to be right there with what a shop's charging. And guess what? Now, all of a sudden, you're not so appealing anymore, right? I would rather just go to a shop and get a 36-month warranty. I just, you know, I, I just can't see it.
2: Well, no, that's that's what I'm getting at. But, like, um, you know, we'll take Dutch. Dutch's shop started out as a side hustle. You know, he was yeah. doing it. Well, he was doing his full-time thing, and then he was he leased half of a shop or something like that, or leased a bay from a shop. At, yeah, and, and, and doing... You know his work; it was his side hustle, but he was doing it legitimately, and that's Brandon, that's what I was Brandon, geared towards.
0: Brandon, listen to me right here. You better hear me out right now. You don't get the kind of money that Dutch has with an auto repair shop. That's still a side hustle. I don't know where he gets his money from, but I promise it's not that shop. <laughs>
2: No, but, but that, that's what I was getting towards. And like, you know, Mario kind of stepped in and him and I kind of had our conversation back and forth. And I think he, he kind of realized what I was getting at. It, It wasn't about, you know, the moonlighter at the shop or let me steal the customers from it. But, you know, a lot of people like, let's, let's just say the average technician that wants to open up a shop. Well, he's got to have the capital to open it, and if you're wanting to open up a shop, even though I know David's like, oh, I did it with you know three dollars and fifty three cents in my account with no customers, <laughs> but uh, most people try. I was not trying- bragging.
1: It was unbelievably <laughs> difficult. I would not do that again. I don't but, know why I thought it was a good idea. It was not a good <laughs> idea. It was very rough.
2: But you know, a lot of people, if if you try and think of it in a business aspect you want to have you know a, a little bit of a clientele base so that way you've already got the money coming in and that's that's the type of i guess side hustle is trying like if you're trying to like break out now if a if you're having to do a side hustle because your shop ain't paying you good enough then that's a totally separate subject but that that wasn't what I was getting at in that whole Thing which yeah. I shouldn't even put but side that, hustle in it. I should just yeah. Put,
1: that, I think that's everybody just assumed it was. I need you know two hundred and fifty dollars extra cash this weekend for whatever, and so I'm going to go do X work on the side just to pocket that cash and not run it through the shop because if you are in the in the same area, they're like, hey, don't you work at a shop? Yeah, but I can do it cheaper. That's what it ends up being. And Dutch was a little bit different because you know, he was a pilot. Yeah. He wasn't even in the same field. And I I was a store manager of a parts store. You know, you, you could, now I quit that completely and then start opened my shop. But, um, could could it, could it be a side hustle where you're just working on cars in the evenings and you run the store during the day? I was too exhausted. That wasn't going to happen. But I can kind of see, and you called Mario's thing a side hustle, where he's doing the YouTube thing. Yeah, that that I, is a legit side hustle. It's just it's an extension of what you already do, but doesn't directly compete
0: with well, and, your
1: and, and and
2: that that wasn't anything negative towards him. Like his statement was just, you know, any side hustles bad, and and I, my simple statement was, well, you're. Uh, Super Mario Diagnostics, which is very, very good for the industry. What he does with the teaching on YouTube and all that other stuff, that's very good, but it's a side hustle. So anything that you do outside of working hours, normal working hours is a side hustle. Now, like for me personally, I never did any side work. Well, I'll, I'll take that back. I'll say in the 10 years, I probably worked on five cars outside of work and just my time outside of work was important to me. But whenever I decided and my wife and I talked and it's like, we're going to do our own thing. Then I started doing a little bit of side work, but it wasn't in the demographic of my shop because I wasn't going to try and risk anything for the shop or anything for me negatively by pulling something from my shop. So I never worked in the, the area, I guess you could say of, of my shop. And that's, that's kind of comes back to, not everybody's the same because there are some very shady individuals that will purposely take work from their own shop to make Absolutely. money on the side.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah.
2: and I'm not, a, I, I don't agree to that. And I also don't agree if somebody's going to do it a side hustle that they do it half ass. I mean, if you're going to do it, you know, it needs to be done properly because which I, I'm the, also different. The problem, different be, you, have
1: the, the, the problem uh, you even have though, is they don't necessarily have the, 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 uh, um, the benefit of hindsight. So I know to charge X amount of dollars for this job because, um, there are, there are all these additional parts I have to put on because otherwise the car comes back. Um, I need to make sure that this, uh, I think it was Andrew Minkler. It was telling me that he has a 15 minute minimum test drive on all coolant repairs. And the reason being, it can't be 10, it can't be 11 minutes, you can't shortchange it, and he tells the customer up front, it says, look, this is a European vehicle, we're talking about little plastic bits that like to explode, bare minimum, we're going to take it on a 15 minute test drive, and then we're going to retest to make sure that we've covered all the coolant leaks. So the worst thing you want to do is to charge $2,000 for this repair, and have them come back in a week with coolant leaking, because you missed something, and so... The the guy doing the side hustle work who's like, hey, I'm going to be able to do this cheaper, that guy doesn't see any of that. He just sees right. the ticket, right. here are the parts, whatever. I could do this cheaper. They, you know, they're charging $2,500. I could do it even with parts. I could do it for $1,500. I could do it for $1,000, and that's cash well, well, in my see, pocket.
0: Yeah, and, and look, and, look, look. Oh, oh, hold up. I, I got to say it, right? Because you, you you framed it so friggin perfectly, Which you one set of us? it up perfectly. David did. It's, it's always me. Come on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you you set it up beautifully, and the fact of the matter is that every technician who ends up in this scenario, and and look, I, I'm not saying there's there's something wrong with being an entrepreneur and looking at going out on your own. I don't think there's a problem with that. Please don't misunderstand. But every technician thinks I'm going to go out. I'm going to make all this money. Look at all the money the boss man's putting in his pocket. Look at all this money he's got. I, you know, I, I don't understand, you know, in Pat's the other day, somebody asked something about what technicians wanted. And I saw technicians saying that they should get at least 50 to 80% of the labor. (laughs) revenue. And it's like, God, I wish. I'm sorry. (laughs) Right? Sounds great, but there's not enough money there. There, There's there's a pathway to make the business work to where they can get more money, but it can't be that they get 50 to 80 percent of labor take. And and so there's these expectations that they're going to go out on their own, they're going to have all this free time, they're going to get all this extra money, they're going to, you know, and it's not realistic. Not at all. And you know, we were we were at a dinner one time. David, I won't say the name of who said it, just to make you feel better. Um, We were at a a dinner one time. Two of us were sitting at a table, and one of our friends looked at another one of our friends, and he said, you know, you should have never become a shop owner. You're a horrible shop owner. And he said, what? He said, listen, he said, you're a great technician. You should have been uh, taken care of properly by the shop owner you worked for. You should have never been. A shop owner because you're too good of a technician. We've lost something great for our industry for you to become a shop owner. And that's always kind of resonated with me. Maybe not in the way it was said, but it's always resonated with me because I see so many technicians who say, screw those guys. They're keeping all the money. I'm going to go out and I'm going to start a shop. And look, All I'm going to say to that is if you're a technician and you're listening to this tonight, I need you to understand something. There's nothing wrong with starting a shop. Please get help before you do it. Please set it up properly. Get some education on how to run a shop because it's not the same job as fixing cars. Get some education on how to set up your financials. Hire a coach before you start the business and get it configured in a way that the business is profitable. And I promise... When you start hearing what you have to charge and what you have to pay to keep a business operational, really quickly you're going to say, oh, maybe I should still be a technician. Yeah, screw that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no I, I mean,
2: <laughs> like, like even, even the mobile, like, oh, he doesn't have an overhead. Well, no, I got f- tons of overhead, you know, and people don't think about the just the the overhead in general. It's... Ooh, I can charge 80 bucks an hour and I'm only making $25 an hour. Now I'm going to be rolling in heaven. It's well, no, now you got to pay for the lights that the shop owner was paying for. You got to pay for this and that something breaks. And then at the end of the day, whenever you've got 10 extra dollars set in your pocket, you're like, well, what the heck? Well, welcome to being a shop owner. It, it, Just because you got the money coming in doesn't mean it's there. It goes out literally as fast as it comes in, sometimes faster. So and people don't understand that. And everybody that opened up I think every
1: shop owner realizes it pretty quickly that oh
2: yeah. Every (laughs) tech yeah. And (laughs) now one one independent shop owner that I worked for, uh he he was one of the ones where he would show you the PNL if you asked for it. And his philosophy was, it's like, look, I need you to see that just because I'm charging $125 an hour does not mean that my pockets are being lined with that extra hundred dollars an hour or whatever on top of your pay, you know, there's yeah. the overhead and all that. And a lot of technicians are blinded by that. They only see their one aspect I see all this money coming in, and I'm only getting this. Well, well
1: you see the, the posts all the time on Facebook. They're like, they're asking, should I share, you know, financial information with my technicians, with my employees? Uh, For me, I, the answer is yes. I, I have no problem. I mean, I, maybe I don't show my P and L, but you know, one of the first conversations I had with my services advisor was breaking down what a ticket looks like. We charge a hundred dollars. How much needs to go to parts? How much needs to go to labor? How much needs to go to overhead? Let's break this down, and you can see how quickly a 10% discount, a 25, $50, $75 in, in parts that didn't make it onto the ticket, whatever, how much, how quickly that gets eaten up. And all of a sudden, you know, you're scrambling for cash and going, What the hell happened?
2: Yeah, I mean, like. I ran into that this past, you know, the automotive slow season, you know, end of November into the beginning of January. I mean, that hit hard home for me because, you know, I'll just I'll be straight up. I've seen that money coming in at at that very beginning. I was like, this is freaking awesome. And then I didn't set money aside and I started struggling towards the end of last year. And a lot of as a technician, it's just you don't see that. You just always walk up to the service manager or the shop owner or whatever and say, look, I need help with money. And they try and do whatever they can. Well, whenever you leave the shop and you go out on your own, you ain't going to be asking for anybody else. It's you got to look in the mirror and be like, hey, stupid, what do we got to do today to make some money? And I've had that conversation (laughs) more than once.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. So,
0: you know, here, here comes the question. Um, when we talk about the shop buying the, the tooling and, and I personally believe that's the way it should be. Brandon, how many shops are you seeing that aren't supplying tooling? Uh, you know, you go in a lot of shops, how many of these shops aren't supplying the tooling to the techs and you sell a lot of tools. How many Uh, techs are buying tools because they don't have the tooling in the shop?
2: Um, I would say for jarhead uh the tooling side ninety five percent of everybody who buys anything is technicians um and that even includes like the you know a t s or pico stuff that's technicians purchasing that I don't really have i mean I have some shop owners um but a lot of times it is the technicians that's buying stuff and, it, and like in my area. Um, I got some shops that have like a scan tool or a scan tool or two. Um, but for the most part, everything else is up to the technician and then like specialty tools. It's kind of like a hit or miss on who's buying the specialty tools. Like I, I know a couple of the shops that I worked at that were in my area. I mean, they had specialty tools if they needed something, they didn't care. Like I had one shop that we had to put uh, glow plugs in a sprinter and he went out and bought a $3,000 glow plug remover, rethreader thing or something like that used it once, but that was his type of shop. You know, he supplied all the special tools, uh, but it's hit or miss on if you're going to get into a shop that does that. And that's kind of the, the downfall in the industry. It's, there's no, you know, standard i guess you could say it's a free-for-all and then like and and like you said if i were
1: a technician i don't know that i would want i mean it's it'd be okay if the shop supplied the tools that's fine i get that but i want to be able to leave and then not that i'm not loyal i'm almost loyal to a fault sometimes with things but i still want to be i still want to have my freedom and the I know some shops are installing toolboxes in for their guys and the dealerships here in Kansas city are absolutely installing toolboxes. They're all the same color. They're all the same style. So the entire shop, when you walk in has a, um, has a branded look and the technician, if he wants to leave has to all of a sudden pony up, you know, $10,000, $15,000, $25,000 $10,000, 15000 $25,000 for a toolbox that he didn't have to pay for before. And now, now you're having that uh, that conversation where he, he's telling you, Hey, I gotta, I gotta get a toolbox. And you're like, well, am I going to make this kind of commitment and purchase a $25 toolbox for this guy or have purchase it up front? And the guy pays me back or works it off in time. You know, that, that was, that's something that I've done in the past. I've purchased toolboxes for guys. I don't make them pay it back. I say, if you leave in this amount of time, you know, you either have to buy it from me or I take possession of it again. You have to work it off. In other words, you have to put your time in here. Um, that's worked out really well for me, but I, I don't know that I would want that. If I were well, the technician, I, I well, want my freedom.
2: Yeah, to to a point, but like let's say uh, I'm just going to use like a Ford Flex, the V6. You go to do a water pump on it, you got to buy a special tool to hold the cams in place to do the water pump.
1: They're not that know. expensive. That's well, I know.
2: No, I, I'm just using that one as an example. So
1: yeah,
2: just, but like let's just say for instance, you're only going to do it was one a bad year. example
1: because my technician. Like just he bought went one. and bought his own tool yeah he went and now, bought his own tool and i'm like no 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 no. i buy those tools and he's like yeah but i want to own the tool like i don't want it to be your tool i want it to be my tool
2: no well
1: <laughs> i'm like okay whatever
2: uh, well yeah and don't get me wrong because i did this but like i said just a minute ago i'm also a tool whore um but <laughs> like let's just say for it is a cheaper tool you can buy it on amazon for like 30 bucks to hold the cams in place but let's let's just say, for instance, that
1: we don't buy from Amazon. You get, remember that?
2: I know. I I know you don't. I'm just. I was. You know. Okay, Tooltopia. <laughs> um, but but let's just say it took. You get paid five hours to do the job. You get paid twenty bucks an hour. You know. Now you just took twenty percent of your pay to pay for that tool that you might use once. Now. I am going to say that I have way too much money and tools that I was like, I really am going to need this one day. And then I never used it. So take with what I'm saying with a grain of salt, but on certain things, it's like the shop should pony up because you might only see that vehicle once a year. And let's say it's a $300 tool to do the job. You're only getting paid a max of a hundred bucks to do it. Well, now you as a technician, have lost money so
1: and then i tell you that my guys are salary and it doesn't bother them
2: (laughs) yeah but but you know also on my website i did um i was doing weekly uh vlog not vlogs blocks there we go and i was just and one of them was talking about a a technician a technician is his own boss too though because you know You're the, you hold the key to your, your destiny, because if you're a crappy technician, you're going to turn less hours. You're a good one. Turn more hours, you get more work and all that other stuff. So as a technician, you are your own boss. So, you know, purchasing the tools that's it's in a gray area. And I, I don't know it. On some aspects, the shop, I think the shop should pay for some, but then on the other aspect, you know, you should be held liable for a little bit as well.
0: Well, I, I, here's, here's kind of what my thought process is. I think that, that you need to have sweat equity, right? So I think technicians have to have a little bit of sweat equity in it. They need to have some tooling. They need to take pride um, in their trade and we need to pay them appropriately for that. I think that if we want to do programming, if we want to do high end Diag work in the shops, then there again, I do believe that we're responsible for that tooling. We're responsible for that training. And if not, we've really got to to determine where do we stand in this, right? We've got to start coming up with some thoughts. And, and earlier we talked a little bit about this and I said, you know, okay, you want to do a mobilizer work. What tool do you buy? Okay. You want to work on, on, uh, Asian vehicles, what tool do you buy? And I think it it really goes back to making some decisions. And and by that, I mean, think about it. When I started trying to fix my business, you've all heard the story. I've talked about it over and over again where I've said, listen, um, you know, I thought all these things needed to be fixed. I had all these ideas about what I wanted to do with my business. And it took somebody from the outside looking in and saying, whoa, 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 whoa hold up, you're, you're really good at this and you're really good at this. Let's focus on this. Let's take this aspect out and this aspect out. So I think the same can be done with tooling. We need to come up with a plan, but sometimes we need somebody there to help us plan on what are we going to be working on. What type of task are we going to be doing? Are we doing programming? Are we doing a mobilizer work? Do we need a VSP? What? Where do we go from here? And what are the challenges we face in the future? So, Brandon, and I ask you, what are the challenges we face in the future? What do you think as shop owners we face in the next five to ten years that we need to be tooling up for?
2: Um, ADOS. ADOS is a huge one.
0: You
1: Damn. don't think they're going to be self-calibrating? That's what I was getting ready to say. I'm going mean, to I'm going to bank one. on self-calibration. Screw that. $40,000 uh, garbage. Th- <laughs>
2: some some <laughs> some stuff already is self-calibrating, but not all of it can because you have to think of it as you know like the the cruise control let's just say it's self-calibrating but it doesn't self calibrate properly, then who's held liable if that vehicle is in an accident? Is it the OE who said it was self calibrating or the technician who installed it and did the self calibration? Whereas, you know, the people who like right now with the it calibration, at least then you can say, look, I calibrated it to the standards of the OE. So I th- there is some stuff right now that's self calibrating. Like I know for a fact, some of the, the Kia Hyundai stuff, which is my background is uh, self calibrated. You just hit calibration, you go drive it and it calibrates. Um, but I don't think all of it will be uh, self calibrated personal opinion on that. Uh, but okay, that's like, so it's hassle. awesome. Everybody's what else? Uh, shops need one, two, three, four YF as, as stupid as that sounds, but, you know, it's uh, it's against the federal law now to, you know, well, I can just purge the 1234IF and put 134 back in. Well, no, you can't. Now you're a felon. So as, as stupid as that sounds, you've got to invest in, in that type of equipment too. And then, you know, the VSP. Oh, well, who
1: does that? I mean, seriously, who does that? Are there shops really doing that? Like legit shops? Shops that would hear this podcast?
2: uh maybe not the ones that hear this podcast, but it <laughs> it, it, it happens, I could tell you tell you that much.
1: Well like you don't you run the risk of you know ruining the compressor damaging no. components. I,
2: I, I'm gonna tell you no and the only reason I'm gonna tell you no is because of my background. So um the Kia uh, sportage is almost identical to the Hyundai um, Tucson Whenever the Kia Sportage, which used the exact same equipment as the Tucson, switched to 1234YF, we were having issues. Well, the the Tucson was having the exact same issues on 134. So the systems were the exact same. It was just one was 1234 and one was 134. So you can use it. You just have to know the amounts that you're supposed to be putting into the system. So, but. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Legally, you cannot. Though that's you know,
1: I get that. I I just I I know my luck, and (laughs) the one time (laughs) I try it, I you know the the uh, the compressor explodes, and I'm on the hook for you know a fifteen hundred dollar or two thousand dollar AC repair job, and the customer's pissed. I need the car to go on a road trip right now. Well, I mean, so I I wouldn't attempt it.
2: Well, that's just like. Back in the day, whenever people were switching from r twelve to one thirty four you could get an r twelve retrofit kit to one thirty four so that way you could if you had an r twelve car you could just you know put the new stuff in it so yeah, same thing uh but that and just staying up on on your equipment i mean if you're if you're not being able to get into secure gateway, that's gonna become more and more i think. You know, Chrysler kind of started it, but I think that's something that's going to be coming more and more and more, especially with all the technology, is if you don't have access to the secure gateway, you're going to be screwed. You can't even clear a check mm-hmm. engine light. So,
0: Yep. If, if you had to buy a scan tool today to operate an entire repair shop with, what would that scan tool be and why? Ooh, just
2: one? Just one. Um, if they were wanting to do any immobilizer, I would say probably the IM608. Um, if when not. When you say
1: immobilizer, what are we talking about here? So, I mean, so. Just programming keys or.
2: Well, no, no. Like, well, yeah, programming keys, but then also like you can get in and do certain certain resets, whereas a typical scan tool can't because you have to actually get in to the immobilizer side of the vehicle, um. Or like all keys lost situation, you know, the IM608 will let you do all keys lost on quite a bit of different vehicles. So
0: now is it, now is it going to give me typical scan tool functionality?
2: Oh, the IM608 will, um, will do everything that like the, the previous model to the ultra. So, or actually it'll do almost everything. The ultra will too. It just won't have the topology, but like the, the maxis elite Elite, that's what i have yeah it'll do everything that the elite will do minus coding so like you know how your elite's got the bmw coding and all that stuff the Mm -hmm. im608 does not have that but it does everything else minus the coding so where it lacks encoding it it has the immobilizer but see the immobilizer it's it's like a totally separate unit inside of itself. So whenever you first pull up the scan tool, you either have to select that you want to go into the immobilizer side or into the to the diagnostic side. So but then it also okay. it comes with a J2534 as well, which comes back right. down to programming. So if you're if right. you're not wanting to do immobilizer, then I'd probably look towards the Ultra. If you want to do immobilizer stuff, then look towards the IM six oh eight
1: I'm I'm surprised that that's uh I didn't think you would go that route. Interesting.
2: Which route did you think I'd say? Snap. I
1: don't know. I would some <laughs> some a different autel device. I I don't know. I didn't think you'd say the IM six zero eight. That's interesting, though. Well, to be honest I've, with you, you got mean, me shopping for an IM six zero eight right now. Is what well, the problem is now.
2: I, <laughs> <laughs> I I recently bought a a nine zero eight P, which is similar to the elite, but just a step down. Um, But my 608 literally does everything that that does. It just doesn't have the coding features, but I don't really code a lot. So it, it don't really bother me too bad. So I'm actually trying to sell that, that 908. So, but yeah, I mean, it's either a toss up between either one of the all tails. And the only reason I say all tail is just the, what it comes with. I mean, No other one comes with a J2534, and in today's world, that's something that you got to have. I mean, you can sugarcoat it all you want. You have to have it, or you have to have somebody that's mobile to come do it, or you have to pony up the money to tow the vehicle to the dealership one way or the other. So
1: Yeah, that's what they end up doing is they end up shipping it off the dealership, not deal with it themselves, which ends up costing the customer more. I mean, if they're charging appropriately. Correct. it's a you know $95 to $100 tow bill to the to the dealership and then you have to go pick it up after the fact and I will say that uh some of these especially the luxury brands they have jacked their prices up
0: incredibly
1: oh, yeah. in the last couple of years is where it used to be 125 bucks now you go there it's 210 and if they know you're a shop you're screwed because yeah. they all absolutely jacked that price up and we're like well what what are you the what are the other options? you've got no choice here? You've gotta pay our price,
2: and see, I get a lot of shops that'll kind of kick back, and I'll admit like for programming, I'm more expensive than most dealerships. I mean I am, but I'm also for a service. It's either let's just I'm just using round numbers, let's say the dealer charges a hundred bucks an hour and in my dealership experience anytime you do a program and it you charge an hour, so it's a hundred bucks, okay. Then you got to spend all your time trying to get the vehicle there, either driving it there, dropping it off, coming back or towing it there. Then you got a tow bill, you know, then it comes back. What's your time worth? Is your time worth that $55 to spend three hours yeah. of heartache trying to get something programmed? Or do you have me come out and program it for 155 bucks and you don't have to do anything? And a lot of shops, they don't see that. They just see, well, I'll just go to the dealership and get it done cheaper. Well, you can, but is your time worth it worth the 55 bucks to, you know, save. And that's where a lot of shops don't understand, which is a totally separate conversation of charging appropriately. What's your time worth, what you should be doing and not doing.
0: Well, so let's, let's, let's cover that topic while we're talking about it. If, if, if we pull a vehicle into the shop and we say, Hey, we're going to program this. Where, I mean, is it a thing where we do more volume of it and reduce our price? Do we try and compete with the dealer? What say you? I mean what what's your strategy? Give us a little bit of insight into your strategy into this. Where are we going as far as programming pricing? and and what does this look like from a, you know, marketing standpoint to shops? What what's the advantage of having you come do it? Um, obviously, hold on, there's hold a on, financial time out. Time
1: out, time out. before well, before you get into that. Why wouldn't I buy an IM five hundred eight and an XP Pro or four hundred XP four hundred? Oh Jesus!
2: <laughs> because uh, you were still need an Altel J twenty five thirty four. I've got one do, already.
1: I've got a Maxis Elite.
2: Okay, you're wrong. The the Maxis Elite J twenty five thirty four. <laughs> Thank
1: God
0: somebody finally told him uh,
2: it, that that J twenty four <laughs> J twenty five thirty four is locked to your Maxus Elite. Um, so you would have to get a standalone J twenty five thirty four to work with your five hundred eight. So you would have to buy a separate one. So by okay. the time that you buy the the five hundred eight the XP four hundred and then the standalone J twenty five thirty four for like. $500 more, you can have an IM608, which is a much better tool.
0: Okay, so you're saying we just need to buy IM608. Everybody just needs to go buy IM608. Um, Brandon Deals, Jarhead <laughs> Diagnostics. I'll take that on his website.
1: Yeah. It's, it, <laughs> Big Mama's them. house.
2: <laughs> well, well, call, call now, me. It'll, be, up, it'll be on my website nice. soon, don't worry. I, yeah, yeah I will. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, he's going to stock up on IM608. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, hey, listen, if this doesn't play out well, you know, you can donate one to me. It'll be
1: okay. Yeah, we'll okay. Take, we take donations anytime. <laughs> sorry. Now go back to what he was saying. I'm sorry. I, I've already forgotten that. I, I, no, no. It, no
2: it, it was about no. char- charging appropriately. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So,
0: so listen, if we're, if, if you're standing here telling me, hey, listen, I have no choice but to be a little more expensive than the dealer, and I, I get the advantages. Right, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being more expensive than the dealer, but but what's the strategy for the shop? Right what what is the strategy that we use? Is it that we're trying to keep them in the shop? So in other words, we're not taking them to the dealer or having them go to the dealer for an update.
2: One hundred percent, and this is coming from a dealership technician that most of my career was in the dealer. I can tell you that anytime another shop took a vehicle to us or had a, uh, vehicle owner to us, we tried to make sure that that customer stayed with us, whether, and this is where the, it falls bad for the independent garage owners is the dealerships have so much money that they can say, I'll take care of this for free, Mr. Customer. Why don't you just come over and see? I can help you out more. Well, as a shop owner, now you potentially just lost that customer for good because they went yeah, to the dealership right. one time. Oh, I'll do it for free this one time. But, you know, make sure you come back for the oil change. And I'll give you a discount on that. And then now they're hooked into the dealership for discounted pricing.
0: Yeah, I've got a good friend who was writing service for a dealership and and I happened to, to see some of his numbers. I was truly shocked how poor the profitability was in that dealership. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy how bad it was.
2: Oh, yeah. And, you know, as as a customer, like if I was to have my vehicle serviced, as shitty or crappy as this sounds, I mean, the dealership's where it's at in the customer's eyes because all they got to do is write a bad survey and then automatically everything's free. And so right. if, if we fight to keep everything in, in our bays, then as a shop owner, you're going to see a return on your investment, whether it's return on your investment of paying me to do the job. And then that customer constantly comes back to you or return on investment of you bought the tooling and you can keep the customers in your bay because the moment that they go to the dealership, I mean, it's a 50-50 chance you'll never see that car again.
0: And Let me ask you a question. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead.
2: Well, well, and just the one last part is, you know, you tell the customer, "Hey, I'm going to send your car to the dealership." What did you just put in that customer's head? Well, they can't even right. service yeah. my car properly. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. and you have to tell them, right? Let, let's be 100% transparent. If you go moving a client's vehicle to another facility without telling them you're moving it. You are asking for a disaster. I've, I've made bad. that mistake. Yeah, no, you the don't la- I know that
1: the last, the very last one we did, and we we didn't say anything to the customer. We just took care no. of it. No, listen.
0: The situation is: what happens if that building burns down? What happens if it's in yeah. an accident? Why was it the at the dealership? Why was it at this right. other
1: place? Yeah, I know.
0: exactly. And yeah. then they start getting letters from the dealership. Hey, listen, you know your car was just in for service. Yeah, Oh man, you know? um, So it, it's a, it's a bad situation. David's thinking about it right now. Like, damn, um, you know, because they, they were don't, supposed to get rid of that car as soon as I was done with it. Okay. <laughs> right. But they, they don't listen. They don't depend on, they don't depend on the, the data you're giving them. They're depending. And, and our dealerships up here, one particular dealership, they will go through the glove box if I take them a vehicle. And they will get the vehicle information and the owner information out of the glove box. They won't go off of my information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to be really careful about that because y- your customer list is very valid. And if you think they're not trying to get it, you're crazy. Brandon, I've got a completely off-topic, crazy question. It's something that we hear a lot of consultants say, um, and it may not have happened in, in your dealership, but you were a dealership technician, and I think it's it's valid Uh, or a valid question, and that is have you seen dealerships using non-OE parts? In other words, they did not get the parts from the parts department. Have you seen that?
2: Do you want a a, a real answer? Yeah. Yes. Uh,
1: Dude, I used to sell. I. Well, some of the dealerships in my in my town were one of my biggest customers. I'm spending five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars a month spending with me and the aftermarket guy buying the cheapest garbage that I had available.
2: Well, well, you have to you have to remember. I I don't know what that dealership was doing, but you also have to remember that they sell used cars and they service the used cars. So if they weren't, I mean, they might have been spending that much, and it might have just been for. You know, they're a Kia dealer servicing a Chevy, but I know for a fact that one of my parts departments that I worked for got in trouble because we were doing like certified pre-owns where you have to use factory stuff on the certified pre-owns. And they were forcing us to put the cheapest of the cheap and they would have to go to other dealerships and the other dealerships would kick it back not warranting the stuff out because it was aftermarket. So that does happen a lot, like more than what you would think. If it's out of warranty, there's a 50-50 chance that it's got an aftermarket. But that's my experience, and I can't speak for every dealership because some dealerships are on the up and up, and some of them are not on the up and up, if that makes sense.
0: So we have called a local dealer to us doing some really shady stuff and, and one of the things I've seen them do is they will charge the prices, the list price for a OE part but then we'll get the car and we'll go in and, and delve into something that the client's and, having an issue with. And will have and wings we'll on find, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very clearly aftermarket parts and you know so... Yeah. Um, I think it leads to a question that a lot of shop owners have got to ask themselves uh, or ask themselves is that uh, make sure we're comparing apples to apples when a client tells us something.
2: Correct.
1: Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast along with the work of ASOG, just go to our website, asog.site. That's A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E and click on the Become a Patron Now button. Becoming a Patron gets you several perks, supports this podcast, and is entirely tax-deductible. That's because ASOG is a 501c3 educational charity. Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. It helps spread the word. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel and hitting that like button. Lucas thought the like button was going to send him an IM-608, but instead, he got an IM-508 off of eBay. As soon as he connected it to the internet, the scan tool locked him out. When Lucas called support, they broke the news to him that he had been sent an offshore unit, and there was nothing they could do for him. Get back at that like button by hitting it for poor, now under-equipped Lucas. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, or if you have any topic suggestions, please reach out to me via email. My email address is david at asog.site, that's D-A-V-I-D, at A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E. Until next time.